Hello, everyone, and welcome back to James Cameron's Titanic Scene by Scene. I'm Brittany Butler. I'm Ethan Brim. Doing the robot over there. I am I'm Ethan, Ethan Brim. Brim. <laughs> and today we are talking about either A View from the Lifeboats or Third Class Panic. Those are the two titles that we have to work with from the DVD and Blu-ray scene selections. And I'm just going to choose which one I want by the time we put this up. So I think I'm leaning towards Third Class Panic because A View from the Lifeboats is really just the first 10 seconds of this scene, kind of. Uh, And then Third Class Panic is kind of the back end of the scene. So we'll figure it out. Before we get into it, I have an email I'd like to read, and this is a brand spanking new one from this week, because we're jumping around, because <laughs> last episode, we went way back into our mailbox. It's not a teenager who's now an adult, because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a 15-year-old is now 17. Yep, and so now we're going to a brand new one. This is from Tiffany, and this is actually really cute. It's a mother and daughter who have written to us. It's really cute. So the mother is Tiffany, and she writes, Hi, Brittany and Ethan. We wanted to send you an email to say we love your podcast. We also want to compliment Brittany on her Rose impression. It is spot on. The first time we heard it, we thought it was a clip. (laughs) I just think that's funny because that was other feedback we had gotten on the podcast was that I was doing too many impressions. And then I I almost wanted to go back and edit all of those out. No. Um, But thank you for the compliment there. Uh, Okay. Our names are Alisa and Tiffany, and we are mother-daughter Titanic fans. We wanted to let you know a cool fact we noticed about the movie. Cal's room numbers, given at Southampton loading by Spicer Lovejoy, were actually Bruce Ismay's rooms. Cabins B-52, 54, 56 were the most expensive parlor suites on the Titanic, located on the port side of B-Deck. They were occupied by Bruce Ismay, and we know them by heart. It's interesting that they shared that. That was always something that slipped my mind, I guess, because I went back and I listened to the behind the scenes where they mentioned this. The executive producers and people who worked on the movie claimed that that was never documented or confirmed uh, because I was always under the impression that these rooms were empty and that's why they put Rose in them because they were like, oh, well, we did our research and we found out that, Mm -hmm. you know, these rooms didn't really belong to anybody so that we could put our fictional characters in there and that always seemed really cool but they did mention i'll put in a clip from the behind the scenes and jim even went to the length of the stateroom that he had rose stay in it was unknown who had stayed in that room so it wasn't contradicting some historical figure who might have yeah. jp morgan was supposed to be had booked the room and then decided not to sail at the last minute and it was assumed that Bruce Ismay had moved into it, but that wasn't documented. So as far as we know, it was empty or was available for our characters. As far as they knew, they felt like they had the go-ahead to put Rose in there. And I mean, it's still a cool idea, and it's still cool that they thought to do that. Like, they even had that thought process to be like, well, did anybody historically stay in this room that would conflict with our fictional story, you know? Yeah, good fact, though. I didn't know any of that stuff. So... They go on to say, We both wanted to write you about why Titanic is special to us. Elisa will go first. Quote, 
I love Titanic. It is so fun. I love it. My mom introduced it to me when I was eight. I'm nine now. I love that. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) That's really cute. (laughs) I have watched it about 20 times, and every time I notice something new. Like one time when we watched it, we noticed that when Fabrizio dies by the boiler falling, one of the straps hits someone's head and there is blood that goes all over the water. James Cameron is overkill, but it pays off. And this is funny. We, we're not there yet, yeah. but I thought I noticed the same thing when I saw it in theaters just recently. It's like when one of the smokestacks falls, yeah. um, one of the ropes holding it snaps, and I swear to God it decapitates someone. But then I looked back on my, like, you know, digital copy or something, and I didn't really see that. It looked like it was just a guy holding onto a floating chair. And for some reason, the, the wooden chair kind of looked like blood. And he had this weird bodily like reaction where he just shook mm. weirdly. But I thought that's what I saw when I saw it on the big screen. So I'm assuming that maybe that's what they're referring to as well. Like, cause they, you know, it was just in theaters. So yeah. maybe. Mm. They saw that too. So maybe I'm not crazy. So you're saying like in like in real life, someone got hit like on set. No, no, no. Like it's like part of the movie. Like, yeah, obviously not a real person did not get decapitated on the set, Ethan. I mean, it's happened in other movies. I think we would know. (laughs) That's true. We would be infamous like Twilight Zone. But yeah, I don't know if that's really what's happening on screen there. But if anyone else has noticed that. Please let me know because I thought I was crazy. I saw it in the theater and I said, whoa, when that happens, when the ropes are snapping off. And I noticed that and I said, whoa. Anyway, so then Tiffany, the mom, she writes, I've loved Titanic since I saw it in 1997 in theaters. When Elisa was old enough to watch it, I loved sharing it with her. We watched it at home and then went to the Titanic Museum and Pigeon Forge together. We also got to see it twice during the re-release. I love sharing this with my daughter, and I know that it will be a childhood memory of something special that we've shared. We listen to the podcast every day on the way to and from school. That's awesome. Thanks again for making our commute special. That's cool. Aww. (laughs) I loved that. That was so cute. Thank you, Tiffany and Elisa. That is so sweet and just so... I love that. That's super cool. Yeah. I think about this stuff that I that I have memories of when I was that age. And I know. One day people will have nostalgia for our podcast. <laughs> Childhood nostalgia for <laughs> Brittany and Ethan on the Titanic podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's, that's so cute. Thank you guys so much. I loved hearing that. That made my day. That's very cool. Thank you. Okay. So... Jumping into the scene. So this opening part of the scene is why I'm assuming the scene was titled A View from the Lifeboat. So it opens with just, we see a lot of the lifeboats um, that have been launched floating on the ocean right near the ship. And we get like all these establishing shots kind of to like show us the Titanic in its early stages of the sinking, showing us everything that's going on. Um, and it does kind of feel like a view from the lifeboats especially when you see it on the big screen in this moment you just kind of get to take everything in and i feel like the score around here always stands out to me is that when the flare goes up yet yes Mm -hmm. so right around here we get some of those wide shots of the ship and james cameron on the audio commentary said that scenes like this are when you really get to 
see how big the set was because it's all real. <laughs> and he's like, yep, this was the set. Yeah. When they do like the bird's eye view or whatever, where it's basically just like a super, super long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's to show how isolated they are there. But like it's one of the few times I think that we see the Titanic from that far away. Right. We saw it twice. Once in the beginning of Ode to Titanic, when it was in like mm. the the beautiful blue open ocean when Old Rose said we were steaming west off the coast of Ireland with nothing out ahead of us but ocean. And they did that faraway shot. Then we got the same exact shot later on, right before the iceberg collision. And they did the same shot, except now it's a lot more ominous. And we had talked about that. But yeah. And yeah, this one has the flare shot. And right before this, we had that line from Molly Brown. Now there's something you don't see every day. And it's kind of just like a joke, like, even though she hasn't, like, to her, there's no perspective of this at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just like, oh, there's something you don't see every day. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, with Ruth, says it to Ruth. Who's looking at a ship that her daughter is still on, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that lone firework shot. Um, I said it's so effective. I said the way the sound is pretty much muted except for the faint sound of the rocket going off you can't hear anybody screaming you know what i mean it just it goes so far away it's just a reminder almost of how small we are um and james cameron said that up to this point i've emphasized how big the ship is now we see the ship tiny and isolated in a vast dark environment its rocket pathetically ineffective and futile yeah, it just perfectly sells that sense of isolation, and it it makes the whole thing scarier, right? Totally. Like, nobody's coming. <laughs> yeah, like, when you're up close, you hope that, okay, well, it's good, they're sending out flares, yeah. like, someone will see it, but then you zoom away, and it's like, who is going to see that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, we know the Californian was somewhere around there, but that was deleted. Yeah. Let's see if there was anything else. Oh, yeah, and then there was a quote from Ken Marshall on the historical commentary where he said, until the day I die, I will never get it out of my mind, the vision of standing off to the side, watching these scenes be shot from down below. Um, And I can just imagine that that was probably very exciting for the historians to be there, especially him, because he was the visual historian, because he paints Titanic. Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of the shots in the movie were based on a lot of his paintings. So that must have been very crazy for him to see his paintings come to life like that and they also said that they were very sad to see the start of the sinking scenes start to happen because that meant that their time with the ship in its glory was over and they were just very sad because they got to spend probably you know a couple months right with titanic uh and they said that they referred to it as the ship they never called it the set it was i'm going on the ship i'm going off the ship uh and they just loved it so that was cute that's pretty cool and I was like, I wish I could have been there. <laughs> like, it's so upsetting that they destroyed the set. Uh, yeah, what a time, man. If only they knew that the movie would be a success and they didn't have to, like, destroy the set to get the money for the parts back or whatever <laughs> the heck they did. <laughs> yeah. they the, All the, like, wardrobe and stuff are is pretty much the auction that was off there, right? 
I think so. So then it cuts to Light Toller chucking luggage out of... Um, <laughs> this part made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, he's chucking luggage out of the lifeboat because people are trying to bring their luggage. Yeah. And he's like, what is this? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. <laughs> and it tosses he's checking it. Checking it off the ship. <laughs> yep. Trying to free up more space and lighten the load. We see an old couple getting separated from each other and we see a young couple being separated as well and they make a point to hang on fifth officer low as he looks from the boat to the couple boat to the couple looking very stressed and conflicted which is kind of a nice little touch it is a really nice touch uh when you're watching this all as one you this is right pretty quickly after cal and rose have that little scuffle like she runs away and then but then she doesn't want to be with him and they have this fight meanwhile like everyone else is like i might never see my husband or my loved one again and Mm -hmm. they have to live with that versus like juxtaposed to them just battling it out and like not (laughs) uh, just kind of ironic i guess Uh, (laughs) but rose is going to be reunited with the person she does love yeah yeah exactly (laughs) So with this scene, with all of the extras on the deck and everything, James Cameron said that it was very dangerous because they were really up 60 to 70 feet. And those are all real extras with no railings. (laughs) That's insane, man. Um, And also, like, I like how um, it's very, like, old school. Like, he put the lifeboats so the ship is sinking at an angle, obviously. So, like, everyone has to, like, go uphill. Like, that's, like, classic cinema where, like, you're about to do something difficult. Like, you go uphill to do it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Versus if you're doing something easy, you go downhill. So, all these people are just rushing uphill. So, not only do they have to get there, they have to climb up an incline, like, fast and in a panic. And it's a fight with everybody. It's insane. But yeah, they said they needed to be extremely careful with with no railings and actually up on a giant ship like that. That's wild. It is. I, it is actually crazy that there weren't more injuries on the set of this movie. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, you're surprised not to hear about too many of them. I'm sure there were a handful of them, but oh yeah, nothing serious, I don't think. But that is that's a testament to him running a pretty tight ship, <laughs> but don't. But <laughs> he did. Yeah. But yeah, the historian said that Lytoller was likely not very calm the whole time and that him being closer to panicking like we see from here on out is probably more accurate. Mm -hmm. And I would probably assume that as well, Uh, because there's always a lot of debate about like, you know, how the officers actually acted based off of, you know, survivor testimony and everything. But Mm -hmm. they think he was probably a little panicked. So then we cut to Cal bumping into Lovejoy and for some reason I just laughed when he goes Lovejoy (laughs) (laughs) so they're still trying to locate Rose (laughs) they are still trying to track this girl down while also trying to find a lifeboat that is letting men on so Lovejoy's like she's not on the starboard side haven't seen her and he's like well we're running out of time and he says this strutting martinet isn't letting any men on yeah i couldn't understand so is that what he said i couldn't understand what he was saying yeah and then i did not know what he was saying until this day what is a martinet (laughs) exactly i was today years old when i discovered number one what cal said and number two what that is (laughs) so so yeah he says strutting martinet and i never knew what this was and the definition is a person who stresses rigid adherence to the details of forms and methods so it's just like a stickler basically 
Yeah, pretty much. But I love the way he puts the word strutting yeah. <laughs> in front of it. Like, what? It's why we say stickler now, because that's too much. <laughs> strutting Martinet. <laughs> why are you being such a strutting Martinet? <laughs> what? Excuse me? Oh, I love it. Lovejoy says that there's a boat on the other side letting men on. And I was like, hmm, wait, was there? <laughs> I wanted to look that up. And then they go downstairs. And Yeah, I know. The only thing I could find was this potentially being a nod to lifeboat number one, which allowed a number of first class men on, but only a total of 12 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, um, well we're going to get to that too. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think later on in the scene, it was a nod to that boat as well. Yeah. When Mr. Andrews mentions that he saw a boat filled with only 12, I think a boat on the other side letting men on and one only being full of 12 were both nods to lifeboat number one, I think. Yeah, and that really happened then, right? So- yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm assuming. And it was um, Murdoch was the one that launched it and it was on the starboard port. side, which was yeah, the opposite side, the port side. from... You know, it's the, it's the side that Lovejoy was coming from. So I'm assuming that's what that was an odd to. And then Cal says, all right, well, that's our play, but we'll need some insurance yeah. first. So then they leave to go get some money from his safe so that, you know, they could ensure that they can get on this boat, which is just too much. So right around here, there was a deleted scene of Isidore and Ida Strauss, who are the old couple that we see on mm. the bed later on in the movie. Yeah. But they did have this scene where Isidore is trying to tell Ida to get on the lifeboat. No, no, please, Ida, get into the boat. No! We've been together for 40 years, and where you go, I go. Don't argue with me, Isidore. You know it does no good. And this is historically accurate. This is what people have said they overheard them say. And they were last seen holding hands on deck before a wave swept them away. Wow, really? I know, I know. I read that. I was like... They had connections to like Macy's? Was that that couple? Yep, they were the co-owners of Macy's. Yep. That's... Wow. So Cameron took, you know, some license by going, okay, well, yeah, let, let's yeah. put them in the bed, and uh, which I think plays better cinematically and emotionally. I mean, yeah. a lot of people remember that shot, but that is awful that that is apparently what really happened to them, though. That is awful. But yeah, so wow. thought it would be important to mention that because that was something, you know, once again, a nice little extra historically accurate thing that Cameron did think to write and shoot, and that would have been right around there. So it cuts to this third-class hallway, which is actually called Scotland Road. So Scotland Road was a very long corridor on E-deck, and it gave crew and third-class passengers easy access between the bow and the stern, so like almost the whole length of the ship. And the name was given as a nickname by the crew because many were from Liverpool, and Scotland Road is a throughfare in the city of Liverpool, I guess. Um, So that's how it got the name. So we see Jack and Rose knocking down a door. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the way you hear Jack's like grunting. (laughs) I love it. And by the way, this is actually the first of two doors he would have knocked down with his body. (laughs) There was another one in a deleted scene. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, man. I was like, one too many body slams. (laughs) More doors, please. (laughs) One too many Jack Dawson door body slams. 
Because that was James Cameron trying to make him go all action hero there. <laughs> yeah. Remember, you're an action hero. Remember that, Leo. Okay. Love it. But yeah, I always wondered, how the heck did they get there? Like, how did they end up behind this store? Yeah, the logistics are kind of... Doesn't even really look like a main door. It's like just a sliver of a door, like, in the hallway, you know? Yeah. So I'm just like, how did they end up behind this little door? That is weird. I just love all the people who are yelling at them, like, confused about what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, so... Cause, yeah, because this was after Jack said, we have to find another way. Come on. I was like, well, what yeah. way did they possibly find to end up behind some door? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, as they break the door down, the steward sees them and then starts chasing after them, basically saying. Yeah. What do you think you're doing? You'll have to pay for that, you know. That's white Starline property. Shut up. And I always loved that scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely like the most 90s moment, I think, in this whole movie. Yep. That's a definite like 90s moment. Yeah. Even just the in sync in tandem part or the in sync part of them just saying it together. Mm hmm. That was like a thing, like sitcom-y almost. <laughs> but it stops that guy in his tracks, though. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like, what a minute, these people are time traveling from 1990. <laughs> he's taken aback. <laughs> but I love that, though, because the steward yelling at them about that is historically accurate. You know, people were told. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this is your property. This is our property. And like, yep. don't destroy it. Yeah. It's like, no, it's going underwater right now. Like, I don't think you understand. Yep. Nope. And this was also included in A Night to Remember, actually in the same scene that we mentioned. I had briefly brought up how there was a scene where they were knocking down a gate. It was actually interesting. I didn't even realize at the beginning of that scene in A Night to Remember, a guy breaks an axe out of glass, out of a glass case, kind of just like Mm -hmm. Rose does. And then they use that axe to chop down the side of one of the gates and a steward comes over to them and says, Here, what do you think you're up to? I'll have you arrested for damaging company's property. A lot of you. But yeah, I just thought that was funny how Cameron kind of lifted the breaking the axe out of the glass thing yeah. from there too, you know? He yeah. got a, a lot of inspiration from A Night to Remember. <laughs> but... The other thing I love about this scene is how it is a great moment for Jack and Rose, though. It shows how alike and in sync they are and how they always have been. But now there are these two people who have come together and they're just, I don't know. It makes them feel like friends also and lovers, like not just lovers, but it it kind of uh, casualizes their relationship, I guess, instead of it's not, you know, it's easy to romanticize their romance obviously but (laughs) like a moment like that it's like okay like they would have been friends too like they would have been like you know like my wife's my best friend like they would have been best friends Mm -hmm. I don't know it's just kind of like a cool little yeah moment I love it because it just kind of shows how they're like they have a similar spirit I guess which we all know already yeah but that's just one of these moments where it comes out because Rose is herself now and she's (laughs) just that's what she's gonna say and you don't get to see them both going up against 
the same person together ever really it's always like one of them's fighting for the other person and this one they're just both in it together i don't know if that makes sense but Mm -hmm. like every other time it's like she's yelling at cal for doing something this time they're just like dude just shut up like to to, they're in the same situation the same stakes they're facing the same stakes and yeah i love it and they're holding hands too while they power walk away from him which is just so cute i love it super cool yeah you know, it's also funny, of course. Uh, and another good little use of comedy during the second half slash, you know, more serious part of the movie. Because I remember you had mentioned, you were like, there's no time for comedy now as we move into the second half. And I was like, oh, no, James Cameron makes time. <laughs> Find a way. James Cameron makes room for comedy. <laughs> He'll shoehorn those jokes in. Don't you worry. Hey, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> so there is another brief deleted scene right around here where a third class woman we actually saw her at the party she's the woman that says jesus mary and joseph and the third class irish band leader he's down there too i think they're married those two characters are supposed to be a couple um so they see jack and rose on Scotland Road and they give Rose a blanket to wear um, because right now she has nothing but her dress and they're like here you go like here's a blanket and that's interesting because I never even thought because like later on we see Rose wrapped in a blanket like for a bunch of scenes Mm. and I never even thought to question where she got the blanket from but this is where she got it and then the band leader gives her a flask to take a swig of whiskey and she takes it and then she hands it to jack and he just smiles and goes cheers and takes a sip himself (laughs) always room for comedy (laughs) it was just a little much like every time i watch that deleted scene i'm like this just feels off (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's funny cheers swig (laughs) But it's just weird. Like, he says cheers way too happily. <laughs> I'm like, we're on the Titanic. <laughs> Let's... Yeah. There, there's no argument for keeping this scene in, I don't think you could make. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut back to the deck where a first-class woman is trying to tell them to hold the boat. <laughs> She's like, will you hold the boat for a moment? I just got to run back to my room. <laughs> and then they, they pick her up. Lytoller just picks her up, puts her in the boat, and says she's the last. Then Mr. Andrews approaches through the crowd, like in a panic, asking him, why are the boats being launched half full? Mr. Lytoller! Why are the boats being launched half full? Not now, Mr. Andrews. There, look. 20 or so in a boat built for 65, and I saw one boat with only 12. 12? Well, we weren't sure of the weight, Mr. Andrews. These boats may buckle. Rubbish. They were tested in Belfast with the weight of 70 men. Now, fill these boats, Mr. Lytoller, for God's sake, man! And he mentions that he saw 20 or so people in a boat built for 65, and that he saw one with only 12, which again, I think, was a nod to lifeboat number one. Mm-hmm. And so he tells him to fill the lifeboats, for God's sake. Lightoller thinks about it for a minute and then quickly requests more women and children. Oh, yeah. And I was reading somewhere that this was the only scene where the breath wasn't digitally added um, to like the, when they were breathing. So James Cameron said that on the audio commentary but i also realized it's only in some cuts okay which is weird so i'm pretty sure they they must have filmed these scenes from the two different angles on different days Uh. or something because 
when we get one shot of Lightoller, yeah, he has breath. But then in another shot, there is no breath. And then in the next shot, there is breath. And then the next shot, there isn't any breath. So. Interesting. Also, when it's like cold. So like also if you're breathing a lot, you're intaking cold air. And so not every breath is going to be have look like fog like that. True. But I mean, it looks like there's literally no breath. On certain shots and then all this breath on another shot. So Also, I love how at this moment, Andrews is like grounding the panic because even when we see like Jack and Rose, there's like, you know, moments of levity. You know, the first class people aren't really freaking out yet. But like everything as an audience, like we're watching Andrews for like as the as like the barometer here. Mm -hmm. Um, And like he's who we're measuring the panic levels by i think at this point before because before people are you know falling and gripping and falling off the ship and stuff yeah i think it's interesting right now he's kind of the that barometer which is cool yeah so that was just funny though because cameron did mention that he's like this was real breath because we got lucky that it was actually really cold and we could get real (laughs) breath but then i love the way the the historians said now that's digital breath (laughs) (laughs) so i mean obviously i'm gonna take cameron's word on that one that was just kind of funny because when you're taking notes, I'm like, okay, cool. And then I watch the next commentary and they say something that conflicts the notes I just yeah. took in the last thing for the same scene. But anyway, I wrote that this was another great scene for Andrews as a character. You know, it shows how much he cares about the passengers and making sure as many people as possible can get on the boats. You know, again, how much he knows about the lifeboats and, you know, what they're capable of and how they were built. Same goes for the scene where we saw him walking along the the first class corridors trying to tell everybody to put their lifeboats on and making sure no one was, you know, hanging around so they could get up to the boats. That was something I meant to mention in that episode last time. And it exudes like the passion he has for the Titanic itself, too, I think, because he loves this ship so much that he memorizes all this stuff. He wants to do this stuff perfectly and so that's why he knows all these minute details that even like the other people who are high up don't know and that's also why it's always good to have him be the one to say these kinds of lines exactly because you can't have these lines coming from cal (laughs) that way it just comes out super forced but coming from (laughs) mr andrews it makes sense you know he would probably have said stuff like this Mm -hmm. then we cut to a bunch of third-class passengers, including Fabrizio, yeah, finally. <laughs> hanging out of one of the gangway doors on the side of the ship. And they're trying to escape, but they're being told this is not an exit. It's not an exit. And they close the door. And on the historical commentary, they said that the door was built very, very, very lightweight in comparison to what it actually would have been on the Titanic. So uh-huh. they were telling them... When you pull the door closed, act like it weighs a thousand pounds. <laughs> so these guys had to do their convincing acting of being like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so then we cut back to that gate that we saw earlier where they're trying to keep everybody down. And we had that conversation about the gate controversy. And Tommy is there. And he says, you can't keep us locked in here like animals. The ship's bloody sinking. Ah, I love Tommy. But this line, though, is more perpetuation of it being malicious intent, you know what I mean? But we went over that, and they open the gates a little bit and attempt to let only women through, but of course, that does not work. (laughs) Yeah, no way. 
Oh, man. Physical violence ensues, and it is not a great look for the crew. And James Cameron on the audio commentary said that he admits to kind of unfairly showing the crew as, quote, evil. Mm. But he does believe that some situations like this might have happened, although he also gives props to the crew for doing their jobs until the very end and that they took their positions very seriously. And on the historical commentary, Don Lynch said for, you know, further expansion on the gate controversy, he said that some gates were open and that third class passengers could get up to the decks freely if they could find their way. And then, you know, mind you, it was a maze. He also believes that some men were held back because some stewards took the orders very seriously. But he says it is hard for him to watch them getting beaten with the handle of an axe in the movie and stuff. And he also thinks that third class people probably did know their place and respected the first class and stayed down there. And that a first class man probably had a better chance of survival than a third class child, which is pretty sad. Yeah. So... They close the gates. They say, lock the gates. The steward is threatening the passengers with a gun now. So then Tommy, he pleads, um, there are women and children down here. Let us up so we can have a chance. And I mean, so true. At this point, it's like, just just let them through. Yeah, so I said, I always loved how he points at the steward before he turns to leave to go mm-hmm. back down. Like, he just kind of gives him a point like... <laughs> like, I'm coming back for you, or something like that. Remember my face. I don't know what the point implies, but it's like, yeah. I, I'm remembering you. So Jack and Rose arrive at that gate down at the bottom of the stairs. Tommy sees them as he comes back down, and they have a nice little reunion. And then Fabrizio comes over, and then Jack and Fabrizio have their little reunion. And they just say each other's names, which is kind of funny, because we were talking about how people say each yeah. other's names a lot. Jack! Tommy! Can we get out? It's hopeless that way! Well, whatever we do, we've got to do it fast. Jack! Fabrizio! The boats are all gone! This whole place is flooding. We've got to get out of here. There's an this these way. All right. Let's go this way, all right? Come on! The lines that Jack says here are, whatever we do, we got to do it fast. And this whole place is flooded. we got to get out of here. Yeah, just stating the obvious. Yeah, those yeah. are the two lines he has here. And for some reason, when he says them, you can tell, like, Leo doesn't really have a lot of conviction in his eyes. He's just kind of saying it. And that just always stood out to me. I don't know why. Like, yeah. I, I, I feel bad for critiquing anything about this movie because I love it. Uh, but also, it is a part of me. And I feel like I can do that Definitely, <laughs> about things yeah, like totally. this. Because <laughs> I love this movie so much. I can jokingly jab at it. Haters can't. Fans we can. If you like, yeah, if you love something, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and even better, I've got a good deleted quote Let's for you, do Ethan. It. Let's do it. Oh my goodness. So, to make matters even better here, talk about Leo delivering these lines not very convincingly. <laughs> the line that was originally written was I can't even say it. <laughs> I can't even say it. It's not even... Well, no, it is pretty bad. (laughs) So, the line was, we got to get up there or we're going to be gargling salt water. Yes, gargling salt water. (laughs) It's like way too graphic of an image for something very serious. That's what I'm saying. 
Honestly, I was almost a little shocked when I read that because it felt so disrespectful. You automatically get a very graphic image of the passengers, and it was probably intended to be humorous as well, I bet. And that's just awful. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Especially given the situation (laughs) and the stakes at this moment. You just would not say that. No. (laughs) You just would not say that. But but then again, Jack Dawson is a comedian. We we yeah, are forgetting true. this. Yeah. <laughs> so he all the way to the end, cracking jokes. He probably would have said that. Yeah. Well, James Cameron was probably like, yes, he loves his he loves his Chekhov's guns, like the the payback uh, the payoffs later. So he's always like, yes, the audience is gonna see him gargling salt water later, and they're gonna remember this line. Oh my God, no. Honestly, that probably was the intention. <laughs> yeah, he's probably so... Oh, man. He he puts so much effort into those. Speaking of that, there's another thing. All right. So, right around here, there was a deleted scene between Helga and Fabrizio. And I think we had mentioned before that they had kind of like a small romance yeah. subplot in the movie that was cut because we realized it just wasn't really necessary. Yeah. So, this deleted scene with Helga and Fabrizio... So Helga is there with her family and Fabrizio is about to run and leave with Jack, which also I love the way everyone just follows Jack. Yeah. Like he has no idea where he's going either, but he's just like, come on, let's go this way. And they all just follow him. He's so sure of himself. That's why. (laughs) I'm like, okay. But yeah, so right before that, Fabrizio had this moment with Helga where he was like, Per favore, eh? you come with me now. I'm lucky. It's my destiny to go to America. Please. Come, come on, Come on. I will never forget you. She still barely speaks English, and she's basically saying, like, no, I gotta stay with my family, and her parents are there, and they're like, no, you're not going with him. And so they passionately kiss goodbye, and then as they're separated, he says, I'll never forget you. Like, he, like, mumbles it a little bit to himself, well, to her as well, but he's like, I'll never forget you. And then we see her, like, get lost in the crowd as he gets further and further away from his perspective. And as I was thinking of this, I go, I think this was supposed to be somewhat of a payoff to the way Fabrizio had jokingly shouted during the departure scene, I will never forget you. Oh, man. Yep. I think this was supposed to be it being like, see, he did find someone he'd never forget. (laughs) Yeah, he remembered that he said this five days ago. Not even that. I think it was just like a callback to that, like... Ha ha ha, first it was a joke. And now it's serious, yeah. But now he means it. Do we know the fate of Helga? We do see her later, yes. But yeah, I I just made that connection while I was taking the notes, and I said, oh no, oh no, James Cameron. (laughs) Like, that's such a small and weird thing to want to give a payoff. But I said, this whole movie is set up some payoffs. Yeah. So, if this was in there, then Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you don't give Fabrizio the same exact line of I will never forget you twice unless it was supposed to be a callback. But yeah, so 
on the audio commentary, James Cameron, around this scene, he said that he remembers these scenes the most during the shooting process because he did a lot of the handheld camera work here himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just loved that. And he loved feeling in the moment. And he thought it made everything feel closer and more unsettled. And so he, yeah, he just has a fondness for these scenes. Definitely. So, yeah, so they all follow Jack. He just says, come on, let's go this way. And they just turn around and go. Um, then we cut to Cal back up in their suite, and he's at the safe opening it. And he's taking the heart of the ocean, and he's putting it in his coat pocket. This is a very important detail. Uh, I love the way he chucks the box yeah. that the necklace is in. He's just like, boop. <laughs> Yeah, so he takes the necklace out of the box, puts it in his coat pocket. Uh, He takes stacks of money for his insurance. And he says, I make my own luck as a callback to the first class dinner. And then Lovejoy says, so do I, and shows his gun. And I was always like, what is he implying? That like he is not afraid to shoot somebody if they get in his way? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Like he will shoot one of these people if they don't let him on to the lifeboat, probably. I mean, because I just always, I don't know, that just always stood out to me. I was like, what's he implying there? Yeah, I mean, totally. probably sound like an idiot by asking that. But no. but I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And, the, and they're so like slimy when he says that. So do I. Yes, I am not against murder. He's not, probably. I mean. <laughs> no. Cal just smirks. And... I said, he could have kept Jack's drawing of Rose. Because remember in the last scene, he was like, it's a pity I didn't keep that drawing. Well, now he's right back at the safe. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) If he really wanted to keep it, he could have. Yeah. And I said in my notes, but he leaves it there uh, for it to be found 84 years later. And he locks the safe. And that's pretty much the end of the scene. But I love the way James Cameron, he said the same sort of thing. So right at that scene where, this is just a great note to end on because I thought it was hilarious. So Cal locks the safe and on the audio commentary, James Cameron says, quote, that was nice of Cal to lock the drawing away so that it could be found and set the whole story in motion. That was considerate of him. <laughs> He's the real hero. <laughs> was- yeah, because if he didn't do that, this whole movie wouldn't be happening. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so that was considerate of him. Very true. So that is the end of the scene. <clears throat> uh, I think that's all I wanted to say. Try to make sure. Who's your least favorite character in the movie? Probably Lovejoy then. Me too, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, Cal's just an idiot. Like, he's just a buffoon. And, like, obviously he's a terrible person. But also, Lovejoy knows exactly what he's doing. And he's just still right. following orders from this guy, like, knowing he has this power. I don't know. I just can't stand him. Cal, I'm just kind of like shaking my head at, but then Lovejoy, I get like mad. Like I get like angry at this guy. Well, because Billy Zane also put in a very entertaining performance. He really did too. And, and yeah, it, it's it's a fun performance to watch. So you can only be like so mad. Uh, but and also because like his idiocy catalyzes the relationship between Rose and Jack anyway, because if he wasn't such a buffoon, she wouldn't have found so much value in Jack. Whereas Lovejoy could have not been there and she was still would have met Jack and it would have just been easier. So, I mean, and yeah, I don't know. I just can't stand that guy. Yeah. They wouldn't have had the henchmen following them yeah, around. Yeah, Jeez, Louise. <laughs> I mean, I can't stand, I really do not like Lovejoy. 
<laughs> my blood boils. He always puts on that face too, right? Yeah, he always has like. <laughs> but yeah, that should just about do it for this scene. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Follow us on all of the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, everything. And I'm sure years from now, all of these socials will be incredibly dated um, and probably won't even exist anymore. I've been thinking of that (laughs) lately. But yeah, while they exist, follow us there. Everything will be in the description below. Hit me up on Zanga. <laughs> MySpace. Add us on MySpace. Yeah, you know. It. Send us an email, scene at gmail.com. Send us a voicemail. And I, oh yeah, because it's not via Anchor anymore. It's mm. Spotify for podcasters. That's why I've been thinking about this. So now every time I mentioned send us a message via Anchor, that is no longer the name. So you can just send us a voice message as well via Spotify for podcasters. Podcasters. That doesn't flow off the tongue as well as Anchor. Uh, but yeah, so I'll just say, leave us a voicemail. There is a link at like the very bottom of the podcast episode description. We'd love to hear from you and that'll just about do it, I think. So thanks so much and we will see you in the next scene. See ya. <laughs>